But as we step into God's word, I want to encourage you to keep um, in that place of faith. Let's lean into God's word this morning. Let's not back off as we've uh, finished the praise and the worship, but let's really lean into what God wants to speak um, through his word today. So turn your Bibles if you've got them. If you don't, then we'll have a Bible on the screen um, as if by magic in just a moment. So Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're headed. Let me grab a bottle of water. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're headed in a moment. And we're coming off the back um, a couple of weeks ago of our Vision Sunday, our Vision Sunday message, uh, which you may remember. And if you weren't around, um, then I'm going to really encourage you, if you call this place home, to make sure that you catch up with that message uh, that was shared, the video. You can find it on family.church. And we were talking about running our best lap yet uh, as individuals, as families, as family church haven't, as family church as a, a whole church member or one church in many different locations, run in our best lap yet with the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us to run. The mission, of course, being the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28, where we highlighted on three specific things that we want to see people saved, we want to see people discipled, and we want to see people set free from anything that may be holding them back. And we're going to continue to talk about how that outworks for us here in Haven on a local basis over the coming weeks and months. But last week, we began some thoughts located in Hebrews chapter 12, and I want to pick up on those again this morning. So let's read these together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run. Everybody say run. run. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So as we've been saying, we've got a race for us to run this year. And this year we're going to run it with ever greater passion than before. I'm going to be out there running my best lap yet this year for God and what God wants to do in and through me. But for many of us, as we said last week, if we're going to run our best lap yet this year, then we may first need to do what's talked about here, that we may need to make the choice to step back a bit and actually throw off and strip off everything that is weighing us down and holding us back. We spoke about this truth, that we will never run effectively and we will never run at top speed all the time that we are held back or tripped up. Remember the analogy that I shared last week where I said if you were to come in here and we said actually instead of doing what we're doing this morning we're going to do a sports day and we're going to go out there and I said some of you would have loved that, some of you would have hated that, some of you your competitive nature would have come out in that moment and if we said we're going to run from here to the other end of Botley Drive and I use this analogy and we said we're going to run but just before we started running I said hold on a minute I want you to carry this, this big bag of bricks. How many of you know that would slow you down? from running the race set before you. If I was to run alongside you as you ran and I kept sticking out my foot to try and trip you up, how many of you know that would trip you up? It would affect your race. And as I said last week, it would probably affect my face if I did it too many times to you and you kind of lost your temper in that, but that's actually part of what we're going to speak about um, this morning. An athlete will never run their fastest lap all the time that they are carrying an injury. An athlete's career will be continually affected if they're carrying a recurring injury. And what we took time to look at last week is that as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. That we will not run our best lap for God if there's stuff that's weighing us down, holding us back, and tripping us up. So last week we talked about one of those aspects, which was pride. 
And again, that message is available at family.church. But today I want to speak about um, something else, but something that's really entwined with pride, something that can come off the back of pride, and that is anger. I want to talk today about anger. Now, anger, let's say right at the outset, is slightly different to pride in that in and of itself, anger isn't actually bad. And we're going to look at that in just uh, a moment together. But what can develop out of anger when it isn't handled correctly and handled in a godly way can become a snare, can become something that holds you back or weighs you down. Because when anger is in control correctly, it can shatter communication, it can tear apart relationships, it can cause so much of the joy and life to be drained out of a person. And sadly, it's probably true that all of us, in one form or another, at one time or another, have become experts at ignoring our anger or justifying or anger rather than accepting responsibility for it. So just as we said of pride last week, remember we said that so often things are easy to see in other people. I talked about pride and, and then said there's probably something that's come, someone that's coming up in your mind. And then we said, well, actually, often what we see in others is often true in ourselves. So as we go through this today, no doubt there'll be people who come up in your mind who are angry people. But let's take a step back for a moment and actually look at what God may want to say to ourselves. That if we back up a moment... We need to actually understand that anger is a normal God-given emotion. Do we know that to be true this morning? Now, some of you are like, well, well, no, I thought that as Christians, we just had to always smile sweetly and, and just be polite, and, and we should never get angry. Jesus w- was meek and mild, wasn't he, Pastor Steve? Jesus was gentle, so surely we should be like him. And in response to that, I'd say, yeah, absolutely, Jesus was meek and mild. Jesus was gentle. Yet in John chapter 2, and you can read about it another time, in John chapter 2, I see our Savior, Jesus, walk into a situation when he goes to Jerusalem and he walks into uh, the, the, the temple courtyard. And there's a moment where he's looking around at all the commotion that's going on in that moment. And there's people there and there's, uh, there's crowds there and there's the stench of animals, animals that have been brought there for animal sacrifice. And there's people everywhere, wall-to-wall people, desperate people. People who are desperate to do whatever it takes to be made right with God. At the same time, there's some other people there who see this desperation and choose to take advantage of it. And they start selling stuff and they start exploiting this desperation that people were desperate to be made right with God, but some others over here were just trying to make some money out of it. And so what does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say, and you can read it sometime, that Jesus looked at that and thought, oh, well, that's not very good, and walked off gently. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he sat there and watched what was going on, and he begins to make a, a, a whip out of cords. And the Bible says that he goes into that moment and he starts cracking this whip and he starts driving out the money changers. And, and Jesus, who you see as little Jesus, meek and mild, goes and he flips the money tables. And he goes and he releases the doves and he gets the money and he throws it all over the floor. And he says, get out of here. You're making my father's house a marketplace. You're making it a den of thieves. Now, don't tell me that Jesus wasn't angry in that moment. I don't know, maybe your translation says something completely different. Maybe your translation says that he walked in and says, I'm so sorry to be a pain. I can see you've gone to a lot of effort in this moment. Um, but I'm going to have to ask you to move on because if you don't, then I might have to give your table a little nudge. That's how some of you read the Bible. That's not what it says. It says that Jesus in that moment started to drive them out. Hang on a minute. I thought Jesus was gentle, meek, and mild. Yes, he was. 
but at the same time he displayed this emotion of anger. Now that's the one that we always go to, that's a classic account that we point to, but it's not the only one. Let's look at another account, Mark chapter 3, and I wanted to highlight this one rather than the other one because the other one is the one we always go to. So Mark chapter 3 verse 1 to 5. It says, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, now when it says that it's referring to the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained Silent. Now listen to this next sentence, because it's in my Bible, I think it's in yours as well. He looked around at them in anger, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. So we have this moment where Jesus walks into the temple, he goes in to do good, and there's this, this bunch of Pharisees who had the religious rule book out, and they were making sure that the do's and don'ts were correct, and that Jesus wasn't doing something he shouldn't do according to the religious standard. And the Bible makes this pointed remark that Jesus looks at them with anger. Here is Jesus displaying anger because of someone else's attitude. So if you're of the camp that says Jesus never got angry, you're kind of running out of material to back up your opinion. How about the moment where where Jesus calls the Pharisees a bunch of snakes? I reckon there was probably a little bit of anger involved in that moment. How about when he says to his one of his best friends, Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. Don't you reckon there was a bit of frustration and anger in that moment? Jesus did get angry, but this is the important bit. In his anger, he never sinned. In his anger, he never got entangled. He never was slowed down in his race. His anger never caused him to be who he shouldn't be or to do what he shouldn't do. So really what we're talking about today is not getting untangled from anger, but getting untangled from what the enemy wants your anger to develop into. What he wants to lead you down. How he wants you to fester on that anger and for it to become something but it shouldn't. Because you see, the truth is, as a church, we actually should be angry about certain things. In fact, sometimes when we gather in, uh, and you come into this, I want you leaving this place angrier than when you came in. Now, some of you are like, oh my goodness, he's finally lost it. We knew he was going there. He's gone past the point of no return. What I'm not talking about, okay, or releasing you to do is, after the service, you get your coffee, you chuck it in someone, someone's face that, that you've been annoyed for a while. Okay, I'm not releasing you to do that. That's wrong. What I'm saying is we actually should get angry about some of the stuff that the enemy is trying to do on this earth. We actually should get angry about how he's trying to twist certain things. We actually should get angry about what he tries to do through child sex trafficking. If that doesn't cause us with... Hello? If that doesn't cause us with righteous anger... Is that my time up already? I mean, we're only... If, if that doesn't cause righteous anger within us... Seriously, listen. If that doesn't cause anger then what does? If we aren't angry by the fact that children today in the playground are watching pornography on their mobile phones, what what does move us to action? If we're not angry about the scar of racism, then what will move us to action? If we're not angry about what the enemy tries to do in this world and how he tries to mess up this world, 
then what are we ever going to get angry about? Because correct, righteous anger should motivate us to action. You say, well, well what do we do? The first thing it should motivate us to do is pray. Do you know, a lot of our prayer should actually come from a righteous anger within us. And instead of responding incorrectly, we respond correctly according to God's word and we pray in situations. We intercede. We stand in a gap knowing we can't fix things, but God can. We pray for God to step into situations. It should cause us to stand up and say, this isn't as God's kingdom says it should be. So I'm going to do something about it in prayer and see what God does. But listen, anger in whatever form it takes should never lead us into wrong action or allow us to get entangled or pulled back or slowed down in the race God has set before us. And we have an enemy who will do whatever it takes to try and push you from a place of righteous anger or correct anger into a place where you're in your anger, you end up doing a whole load of stuff that you don't want to do. He wants our anger to lead to sin. Now, when we talk about anger, I heard this great teaching a number of years back, so this isn't my, I heard it shared, four different types of anger, the four M's, and we're going to look at these just briefly, and then I've got some thoughts I want to share on it. The four M's were this, the maniacs, the mutes, the martyrs, and the manipulators. But within the context of unrighteous anger, so often we fall into one of those four camps. The maniacs, the mutes, the martyrs, and manipulators. Let me expand that for a moment. So the first one is maniac. Now, that's a pretty strong label, right? But it's the person who blows up at nothing. It's the person who it always feels like they're on the edge of just a verbal lashing or throwing something. Or you know when you're around this type of person because you're walking on eggshells. You know when you've been this kind of person as well. And so the, the maniac will just blow up at nothing. They, they just express their anger without actually thinking about it and then pick up the pieces later. So that's the main. But then you've got the mute. Now the mute may look very different, but it's still, that person's still containing anger. The mute represses their anger deeply. They don't express it, but they bottle it up and pretend that nothing is wrong. And so instead of expressing their anger, it's like this person is determined, I'm never going to get angry. They just bury it. They deny their feelings. They conceal their feelings. Yet the reality is, how many of you know, that that anger will eventually display itself in one form or another. And sadly, research shows that a lot of the time it may manifest itself in physical illness because that person has repressed anger for so long rather than correctly expressing it. The maniac, the mute, the martyr. Now this is somebody who's always throwing a pity party. This is Eeyore out of Winnie the Pooh. We remember Eeyore, some of you, who, who's always expecting a bad day. Oh, it's going to be a terrible day. Some of you know some Eeyores, but we're not going to go there. But it, it's that moment where the person is always having a pity party. The person always uses their anger to make it about them and how terrible life is for them and how everything is about them. The, the, the older brother in the prodigal son story, he was a martyr. He was so angry about the situation that he couldn't celebrate his brother's return because he was so focused on how it affected him, the martyr. And then finally, the manipulator. Now, this person is the exploiter, right? This person, the manipulator is an expert at making other people feel guilty. The manipulator's remark, whether they say it or not, is, I don't get mad, I get even. It's the wife who accidentally burns her husband's cooking. It's the husband who accidentally forgets what he was going to do 
for his wife. It's a friend who says a whole load of stuff but then follows up with, I was just joking. I was just joking. It is, I didn't really mean it that way, the manipulator. And you know what? Sometimes religious people love to fall into this category because it appears a whole load more spiritual than exploding like the maniac. But it's still unrighteous anger. The Pharisees were manipulators. When Jesus exposed their hypocrisy, what does the Bible say? They were beside themselves with anger and started plotting how they might get even with him. They were manipulators. And so when we hear these comments and when we hear these labels, it can be a bit uncomfortable for us. Just as I said last week, when we were talking on pride, I was like, it's got awfully quiet in here when we were talking about pride. And so it is with anger, because the reality is you may see yourself in one of those four categories, or, or you may actually see yourself spread out amongst those four categories in one way or another, or in your past where you have been, or you live with one of those four categories in one way or another. And the enemy would love to keep you there. Because he wants to stop you from running your best lap yet. Now, if you're listening to me this morning and you know that, just like pride, anger is one of those things that is holding you back. Anger is one of those things that is weighing you down. If you feel like you're entangled in sinful anger, whether it's something that is expressed or repressed, whether it's something that's aggressive or passive-aggressive, whatever it might be, then I want to offer you some hope by looking at what Scripture says about this. Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus who were displaying a whole load of stuff that he says we need to deal with. And this is what he says. We're starting at verse 26 and we're going to look at selective verses. He's still with me today. Don't get angry at this message. Ooh, pun. <laughs> Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Now, now, he doesn't say, don't get angry. Now again, isn't that interesting? Paul doesn't say, you should never get angry. He says, no, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now here's a couple of things I believe we can learn from those verses. The first one is this, that anger is a warning symbol. And we touched upon this last year when we talked about how to handle our God-given emotions correctly. That anger, when we display anger itself is not sin, but it shows us that sin could be on the horizon. Just like the dashboard on your car tells you that there's something that could potentially go wrong. So it is with the emotion of anger. That Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't give a devil a foothold. Anger isn't sin, but it warns us that sin may not be too far away. We may end up saying something we don't want to say, doing something we don't want to do. In your anger, do not sin. It's what you choose to do with your anger that will determine if it has a negative effect on your life or not. Because if we don't handle it too well, it will do so, so much damage in our lives. It's a warning signal of what could be ahead. Now, when we acknowledge that, we also need to recognize this. that anger should be resolved quickly. 
Paul doesn't say, don't get angry, but he does say this. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with your anger. What is he saying? Don't let your anger go from day to day. Don't go from season to season to season with anger. Don't keep on just saying the same old thing. When people talk to you, you're still playing the same audio that you were playing five years ago about how it's everyone else's fault and you're still angry at all that they've done to you. Don't carry it from season to season. Don't let anger become a permanent emotion in your life. Now we said a moment ago, Jesus at times was angry, absolutely. But here's what we also need to acknowledge. He never allowed himself to be trapped by that anger. He never allowed the devil to get a foothold in his anger. But he always dealt with it and moved on. Now, I want us to look at this in a moment, in Matthew chapter 21. Because here's the moment that we just spoke about from the context of John chapter 2, that he clears out the temple and all that kind of stuff. Now listen to what comes next. Then Jesus went into the temple of God drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned their tables and, and the table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall not be called a house my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So that's the anger we spoke about. Now listen to what comes next. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Don't don't Detach the two, see it for what it is. That Jesus was angry, but he dealt with his anger correctly and was able instantly to minister to those who needed him and to show compassion to heal the sick who were coming close to him. Imagine if that had been us, or, or me, because I know you're all perfect, but imagine if that had been us. That, that all of a sudden we've had this moment, we've got angry, and then somebody comes in and says, oh, there's a queue of people want to see you. We'll be like, can, can, can they just come back another, book a, book a moment with my disciples, come back another day, because I've kind of got a lot on my plate right now. Or even worse, we would have allowed our anger with somebody different to spell out onto them. You're always coming here. You always come into the temple looking for what you can get. Don't you realize that there's so much going on in my life? Like, who do you? Because here's the reality. Here's something we really need to understand. Often, we'll end up taking our anger out on those who have nothing to do with what we're actually angry about. Did you hear that? Because it's so important. Often, we'll end up taking our anger out on somebody who has no to do with what we're actually angry about. It's that situation when we're stressed at work, but you take it out on your family. It's that situation where you're angry with an injustice, but you take it out on people in the church. Let's direct our anger correctly, and let's not allow it to become something where the enemy gets a foothold. If we do not resolve anger correctly in a God-given way, the enemy will get a foothold. And, the, and the, in the book of Ephesians, he's making the point that they've become so angry with one another. It's all about me, me, me. Because when you're angry, we stop caring about other people. We begin to sulk. It becomes about us. If the enemy gets a foothold in your anger, listen to some of this. Proverbs fourteen seventeen. A quick-tempered person does foolish things. Proverbs 29:22 An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. I don't believe any of us set out to do foolish things or to hurt people or to do stuff that we're later going to regret, but the truth is if we don't actually deal with it, we will be liable to say things and do things that we don't want to do. Don't let him get you in that trap. Here's another truth, Proverbs 29:11. Fools vent their anger 
but the wise quietly hold it back. When anger is unleashed or, or when suppressed anger finally makes its appearance, you can end up caught in a whole load of stuff that you didn't want to get involved in. But that's what the account of Cain teaches us. You say, who's Cain? Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. And we don't have time to go into the whole backstory and what happened. But suffice to say, Cain was angry and Cain hated his brother. And so God comes to him, and this is fascinating what God says. Listen to what he says, Genesis 4, 6 to 7. Because I believe God may be trying to save us to some of us in a season we may be in. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now listen to this. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So, so God gives him this picture. Listen, how you deal with this next moment in your life will determine which way it goes. Sin is crouching at your door. The enemy is wanting to pounce on this moment and to ruin the direction in which you're going. So Cain has a choice. What is he going to do? He doesn't listen to God. He goes in the direction of his anger, of his anger and murders his brother. Sin explodes in Cain's life. Because he chose not to handle anger correctly. I don't know about you, but I was reflecting on it. I've never ended up feeling better because I chose to hold on to my anger. It's never led me to a better place because I said, I'm going to hold on to this anger. It never, ever does. But the enemy will try and convince you and feed you the lie. Hold on to your anger because it will make you feel better. Hold on to your anger because if you release it, it means that they win. Hold on to your anger because then you will be in the right. And, and we'll get to this place where he'll try to get you to justify your anger. Why? Because he wants you entrapped. He wants you entangled. He wants you weighed down and slowing you up in the race that God has for you to run. And maybe, just maybe, it's time that we stop justifying our anger. We stop making excuses for our frustration. We stop rationalizing what we're saying and we're doing. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let your heart be hardened. In your anger, do not sin. Listen to how Paul ends this message, verse 31 and 32. He says, get rid of all bitterness Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Paul says, don't let the devil get a foothold in your anger. Don't hold on to your anger, but instead replace it with those three things. Kindness, compassion, forgiveness. Now those are huge topics in themselves. We're not going to go into them this morning, but let me just touch upon them. Kindness. Kindness is thinking about the other person and not yourself. Anger is thinking so often about yourself and not the other person. He says, respond with kindness. Compassion. You know, we can't just go through life and not take stock of how our anger may be affecting those around our life. How many times, and I don't say this to condemn, I say it to convict us righteously that we would say, God, I want to be different. How many people have been affected by our anger for the years? How many wounds have maybe been caused around our life because we dealt with anger incorrectly? We need to show compassion to those people. And then finally, Paul says, replace your anger with forgiveness. When we hold on to bitterness 
and resentment will just keep going round and round and round. It just becomes a breeding ground for more and more anger. We need to learn to forgive as Christ forgave us. No strings attached, unconditional forgiveness. Here's the bottom line, and we'll end with this. God has given you a choice. We have free will. God has given you a choice. Just as he said with Cain, oh, oh, you can go in this direction, or you can go in that direction. But just be aware that sin is crouching at your door. Sin is going to want to ruin the direction that you actually want to go in. Final verse, James 1, 19 to 20. If you know me, this is one of my favorite verses. James 1, 19 to 20. So simple, yet so deep in its reality. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now again, this is something we're taking to heart for ourselves. This isn't something I'm arming you with to to use as ammunition throughout this week. Well, remember what the pastor said, you should be slow. No, 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 let's take personal responsibility for this. Everyone should be slow to speak, slow to become angry, but quick to listen. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Righteous anger we need to have. Man's anger does not lead to righteous life that God desires. Listen, let's be clear on this. Maybe what happened to you was not fair. Maybe the way they acted or they are acting is completely and utterly out of order. Paul's not saying that be a walkover, it doesn't matter. He's saying, how will you choose to respond? We now have a choice. We can go in this direction and respond in a God-given way, or else we can choose and allow the enemy to get a foothold in our anger. This way, we'll see you run the race with freedom. This way, is going to see you bound up for years and years, churning out the same story of how they did that to you, and you're wallowing in your anger. Let's just pray this morning. And listen, I know the last two weeks have maybe at times not been comfortable listening, but the word is there to change us. And yes, we love the messages where it's God loves you, God loves you, and, and that's true. And we love the messages where, and God's for you, and God's going to make, and, and that's true. But we can't just choose the bits of the Bible that we actually like and ignore the rest of the things where God is trying to do a work in our lives. So if we're going to run the race that God has set before us, which we're going to do this year and do effectively, then we first need to spend some time maybe having some painful surgery so that the injury is cured and healed so that we can run that race as God has called for us to run. So these weeks aren't easy. But as we allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in us, do you know what? It sets us up for running with no injuries in our life. Just keep your eyes closed. And here's what I want to do I just want to just take a moment for you because you know the Holy Spirit if you don't then come and speak to us afterwards and we want to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit but you know the Holy Spirit it's not for me to tell you what the Holy Spirit's saying to you you know the Holy Spirit and what I want you to do in this moment is just allow the Holy Spirit to show you some stuff that affects you and your life off the back of this message What is it that the Holy Spirit's saying to you? I know what he said to me as I prepared the message and got ready for today. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Not 
who is the Holy Spirit pointing out about others or what? Let's make it about ourselves in this moment. Let's do business with God in this moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you that first and foremost, your forgiveness is available to us. And Lord, though this message this morning is, is a sobering one, Lord, I pray that nobody would in this place feel condemned or guilty, Lord, because that's not your agenda for their life today. So Father, I just pray that where people need to seek your forgiveness, where people need to repent, and that word repent just means a change of thinking. Lord, I thank you that in this moment they do that business with you. And Father, as they say, would you forgive me? In that moment, forgiveness is freely given. No strings attached, no having to jump through hoops, no... Our performance means nothing. In this moment, forgiveness is freely given. Lord, I just pray that you would just melt any pride within us that's leading to this anger. Lord, I just pray that where people may have found themselves in certain camps as we spoke about this morning and they felt uncomfortable with that because of what your word is teaching to them. Lord, I thank you that you would give them the grace and the wisdom in how to move forward in this situation. Lord, we know that anger is a God-given emotion, but Lord, we want to handle it correctly and righteously rather than allow it to lead us into a place we don't want to be. So Father, we just thank you for your wisdom and your strength in this moment. Lord, I thank you that this is just the beginning of a journey that you're going to begin to at work in our lives, that as we've to talked about pride and anger, that you would continue to keep speaking to us. You would continue to shape us and form us into who you want us to be. Father, you are the potter, we are the clay. Mold us, change us, shape us into who you need us to be in order to run the race. Father, I thank you that forgiveness is freely given and that we leave this place and begin a journey of that injury being healed in our life. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just as we finish praying, I just want to say this. If you have never given your life to, to Jesus Christ and you've maybe come to church a few times, but you say, do you know what? Who is Jesus? What is Jesus? What I don't want to do is just make this about this moment. What I want you to do is have a conversation with somebody. And uh, at the back, at the end of our service, um, will be a couple named Mark and Glennis. If you can't find them, come and speak to somebody in the a team t-shirt and they want to just help you in your journey if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ also if you've heard me talk about the Holy Spirit and you say well who is the Holy Spirit and you want to be prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit then I'm going to invite you just to come at the end of our service and um, towards the front and there'll be some people who will pray with you in that moment but Heavenly Father I just thank you for today I thank you for the freedom that is found in your word and I thank you Lord that from here you take us into our best lap yet in your mighty name we pray amen